Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is James 5. As the father of several young children, one thing that inevitably happens is they will go to the front windows of our house to wait for someone, whether it's a friend or a relative that's coming over, they're excited. And so they are going to wait at the window. They are going to put themselves in a position of readiness. They are ready for the visitors to arrive. But as anybody who spent any time with small children knows, that state of readiness does not always last too long. All right, they're waiting at the window with excitement, but after one minute, maybe two minutes, how much longer? When are they going to get here? And maybe they start to whine. Maybe they lose interest and they go off and they find something else to do. Maybe if there's multiple kids there at the window, they start fighting and bickering over position uh, and the prime viewing spot in the window. All kinds of problems can ensue. It is tough to put yourself in a position of readiness, but then to stay there and to stay there patiently. And that's one of the main challenges that's highlighted in James chapter 5. We know that we need to be ready. We need to be ready for the return of Christ. We need to be ready for the end. But we also need to be patient. And that's what's highlighted starting in verse 7. It says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So there, God's coming is at hand. It is is near. We need to be ready. But in that readiness, we also need to be patient when he does not come. And so that is this command that we see here in James 5. You need to be ready for the return of Christ. And throughout the New Testament, we've seen various implications of that, including purity and holiness, uh, spiritual alertness, faithfulness to serve and to complete the mission of making disciples. We should be active in all those things to show our readiness But it is hard to maintain that readiness. And so we need our hearts to be established. Now, the rest of this paragraph is going to give us some practical things. How can we establish our hearts? How can we be patient? Well, number verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. That goes back to the, you know, the kids waiting by the window. Uh, pretty soon they start fighting. They start bickering. Well, guess what happens sometimes among Christians? They start fighting. They start bickering. And many times, even what my kids come, they want me, uh, they come whining to me to adjudicate some situation. And I'm trying to train them. No, you don't need to come whining to dad. You need to learn how to work through this conflict. 
And the same thing is, you know, we try to become judges. We judge our brothers and sisters when we need to remember the judge is at the door. He is going to come and he is going to deal with things. So we don't have to make sure we've arbitrated every little dispute we have with another Christian because the judge is standing at the door. We need to not grumble against one another. And I hope that that thought helps you. Even when you're frustrated with somebody else, you need to remember God is going to make it right. And so I don't think that means you need to be entirely passive and there's never anything you should do to try to resolve conflict, but I can for sure tell you there's something you should not do. And that's what it says in verse nine. We should not grumble against one another. Uh, The other thing that we need to, another thing we need to think of is we need to prepare our minds. We need to uh, think Hey, this, this is going to be a challenge. And that's what my kids aren't thinking when they go to the window. My kids are thinking, I'm going to go to the window. I'm going to sit there for five seconds. And then the car is going to appear around the corner and the guests are going to be here. No, that that's, that's childish. We need to say, Hey, I'm ready for Christ to come, but that waiting could be difficult. That waiting could include suffering and it's going to require patience which even inherently patience has the idea of I'm enduring something that is less than optimal. Those are going to be the conditions in which I have to wait. And it says, take as an example, the, the prophets, uh, they, they served the Lord, but they didn't have an easy time of it. Many times they faced rejection, persecution, even death for their faithfulness to Christ. And in verse 11, it praises those who have remained steadfast, and it gives Job as an example. So Job, even if you're reading through the whole Bible plan with us, at least this year, you see that we've just read through Job as well in the Old Testament. And you know, Job even is not presented as perfect because he repents at the end of the book, but overall, he was steadfast. He did not curse God. He did not abandon God, even in his great trials. He continued to trust God. There may be points where he's kind of taking God to task and expecting answers from God, but he he never loses his trust in God. And that's what you need to do. If you're going to wait patiently, you need to never lose your trust in God. And specifically, when we say trust in God, we're implying that there's a trust in who God is. That is his character. And that's where verse 11 ends, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So as we're waiting, we're going to resolve, I'm not going to fight with other people and I'm not going to grumble about them. I'm going to prepare myself for difficulty and challenge. And I'm going to focus on the steadfast character of the Lord, right? The steadfastness of Job comes from a trust in the character of God. God has good purposes and he is compassionate and merciful. So even if I'm suffering while waiting for Christ, even if I end up dying before Christ comes, I'm never going to lose my confidence that the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So I hope those things encourage you to wait and to wait with patience, even though you're, you're ready. So you have that readiness, but also that that patience for the return of Christ. Now, some other things that we see that the passage begins in verses one through six with a warning to the rich. And this is something we should all give 
uh, some attention to is all of you are listening to this on your technology that costs money. Uh, all of us listening to this probably have some level of worldly riches. And you see some of the warning here. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. So there we see some warnings that our goal is not just to be fat and happy in this world. Our goal is not storing up earthly riches. Now, this, as we see throughout scripture, is not a condemnation of all wealthy people. Even in this passage, uh, it, it points out some things that are clearly wrong, that they are defrauding people in verse four, that they are clearly treating people unjustly. Even they're persecuting these rich people. Verse six, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. Um, we see some clearly wicked things that they are doing either to get their riches or to keep their riches. Um, but we also see warnings that may not include all, all of those nefarious things of just laying up treasure in the last days. When Christ has taught us to lay up treasure in heaven, not in the things that are on earth and luxury and self-indulgence should not be our goals. So we need to heed those warnings from the beginning. And then from the end, we see some powerful things about prayer. And even it talks about prayer having a role in healing people. And I think that's something that we should all um, uh, affirm and you know, we want to get off into a discussion there about spiritual gifts and healing. And I would say that this is something different. This isn't talking about the disciples practicing the gift of healing with an authoritative in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I command you rise up and walk. This is talking about people praying, praying for those that are sick. Even this also touches on the role, not only that prayer can play in healing, but that confession can play. That many times we're suffering in some way because there is unconfessed sin. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, verse 16, and pray for one another that you may be healed. Um, and then it just goes to talk more generically about the power of prayer and gives us the example of Elijah and how he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. So there's some things to chew on. Is there anything you need to confess to somebody else? And what is it that you should be praying fervently about? And I want to remind you, Elijah, I don't think he was just praying that it wouldn't rain on a whim. If you look back at the Old Testament, if you go back to the law, God warns the people, hey, if you go after idols, if you do not serve me, I'm not going to bring the rain. And so I think what Elijah is doing, he's going back to God's word and saying, God, this is what you've said. Do what you have said. So what is it that you need to be going to in God's word and praying fervently for? Maybe even take a note of at least one thing that you want to commit to praying fervently for based on scripture in response to this passage. And then the book closes with these words, my brothers, if anyone brings, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So there it speaks positively of when you see someone wandering and you bring them back. That's a goal that we, we should have. And that's where we, we're not always successful in bringing people back. But I want you to think today, do you see anybody that is wandering 
What are you going to do to try to bring them back to the truth? Because look, that's a good thing. You could be saving that person from, from death. And that's where, you know, we want to get onto, well, what's God's role? What's my role? Well, let's just look at what the text says. God's telling you, it's a good thing when you go after somebody that's wandering. So is there anybody that you can think of that is wandering that you need to go after today and see what a good thing that can be? And that's a good thing for us to do as we wait, as we wait with patience. We need to be ready, you know, sitting there at the window, so to speak, looking for the return of Christ. But we need to be prepared to be patient in that season as well. And we know that the Lord is at hand. That's good news. Let's be patient and steadfast as we wait for him. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.